Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by www.livinglies.wordpress.com, GTC Honored, and The Garfield Firm, serving all 50 states with news and analysis of the latest bank scams against borrowers, homeowners, consumers, and investors, and providing legal representation throughout Florida. This program is for general information only. It is not a solicitation for services or legal representation and should never be used as a substitute for advice from a licensed professional. And now, here's world-renowned financial expert, attorney, and blogger, Neil Garfield. Hello. Today is December 21st, 2017. This is Attorney Charles Marshall with you again, broadcasting live from Southern California. And we are on the West Coast Foreclosure Show, which is broadcast on alternate Thursdays of each month with a focus on West Coast developments in the foreclosure arena. Neil Garfield will continue to broadcast his regular show on alternate Thursdays. This show is brought to you by GTC Honors, Living Lies, and LendingLies.com, and is made possible because of donations from listeners like you. Thank you. Any amount you're able to donate is absolutely appreciated, and you can donate directly by selecting the Donate button on the blog at www.livinglies.wordpress.com. Now, today, our principal topic on the West Coast Foreclosure Show is going to be a revisiting of the California Homeowner Bill of Rights. I know that I had mentioned in a previous show earlier this month that there were critical sections that were sunsetted as of December 31st. And having looked at that show again, I see that I may have left the misimpression that the Homeowner Bill of Rights has been gutted and really doesn't have any movement for us going forward. When I say us, I'm talking about so many of the listeners out there who are going through foreclosure issues themselves or are helping those who are going through those circumstances. So, yes, a large purpose of my program today is to revisit how the California Homeowner Bill of Rights is actually still a very Credible and in some cases robust piece of legislation, borrowers to use for our side to use to advance the interest of homeowners and even those in some cases who aren't homeowners, but realistically the legislation itself applies to homeowners. So that's going to be the context for today's program. 
Now, what's happened with the Homeowner Bill of Rights is that a number of sections, like I say, some have survived and some have actually replaced other sections which did not survive. And what's going to happen now is that, by the way, I'm going to use the word homeowner bill of rights too, meaning HOBR2. Now, the new HOBR2, it no longer distinguishes between servicers conducting up to or more than 175 annual servicings of loans. In other words, under the old rules, a servicer was not on the hook for HBOR provisions unless they had a minimum of 175 servicings in California in a given year. One of the big advantages of the new legislation, HBOR2, is that it doesn't matter if you're less than that. If you're servicing loans in California, the legislation applies to you. Now, as I was lamenting, and and I know my previous discussion about this most recently in earlier December, Civil Code Section 2923.55, yes, that is sunsetted. That's going away. Now, it's replaced with Section 2923.5. And that is going to define all pre-notice of default contact requirements, all pre-notice of default contact requirements for servicers of all sizes. You know, what we call in the foreclosure community NODs. Now, although these two statutes are similar, 2923.55 and 2923.5, the differences are quite fundamental. And going forward, in terms of borrowers requesting a copy of the note, deed of trust, assignment, or payment history, that's not in the current legislation. So that's kind of a bad news scenario. On the other hand, remember there were dual tracking provisions in 2923, again, we're always talking about the California Civil Code here, 2923.6 prohibited dual tracking previously. That's being replaced by Section 2924.11. Now, that prohibits recording a notice of sale or conducting a foreclosure sale upon receipt of a complete application for a foreclosure prevention alternative. Now, that's critical language in the new set of guidelines that HBOR2 represents. In the past, loan services were required, they were required to stay, you know, in, in other words, basically put on hold foreclosure proceedings upon receipt of a completed loan modification application. Beginning in 2018, the dual tracking prohibition now applies to all applications for all foreclosure prevention options. Well, let's look at what that means in the real world. What that means is 
you're really going to get three foreclosure alternatives among the the alternatives that that make sense and are realistic options to deal with this as a homeowner in the circumstances of these cases. And those are, of course, the, the, the loan modification option. The short sale option is the other one. And then the deed in lieu of foreclosure. I'm going to talk a little bit about the deed in lieu of foreclosure. I almost think of it as a non-option. However, technically it is an option. I'll, I'll explain a little later why I think it's a non-option. Now, the short sale option is a legitimate option, and there are some cases where it might make sense. As most of my listeners here know or likely know, that means you're giving up the property. Typically, to do a short sale, you can't have a lot of equity. Theoretically, you're not supposed to have any. Uh, however, now when you have a short sale application that's being reviewed, these BOR, I mean, H, HOBR2 uh, requirements, they apply to you, meaning it's dual tracking even when you're under short sale review for them to sell the property while you are under review. Now, there's another important aspect of the changes. Section 2924.11, it does not require an appeal period following a written denial. And under the old rules, you did have an appeal period. And that really made a significant difference in a number of loan modification review scenarios. I can't tell you how many cases I saw settle because of the appeal period and being able to use the appeal process. But that's gone now, and that is a real loss. Now, when you're under review, whether it's you know regarding a short sale or a loan modification, Section 2924.11, it does not prohibit recording the notice of defaults when there is that pending complete foreclosure prevention alternative. But keep in mind that the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau rules do prohibit that scenario. So if you're under review and a notice of default has not been recorded yet, then under the CFPV guidelines, it's still illegal for the servicer to put a notice of default into that stream. Now, in this previous show that, again, I talked about not only the HBOR rules, HOBR rules, uh, but I also discussed the CFPB. You know, I, I, I had to use that word again. I lamented that the CFPB looks like it might be on on life support with the current administration, putting somebody in, in into play as the director who's going to be very, on paper, unfriendly to homeowners, to those in the foreclosure situation that so many find themselves, so many of, of our listeners find themselves. 
I'm, I wouldn't say I'm cautiously optimistic yet. I haven't seen any substantive changes yet or signs of substantive change, so we're just going to have to see what happens with that in the coming year. As of now, the NOD still, there are going to be issues if that's recorded while you're under review. Now, there was also um, an old section, you know, looking at this particular section, I'm talking about Civil Code 2923.6. Now, here's the deal with this one. It allowed servicers to refuse to review multiple loan modification applications that did not involve a quote-unquote material change in financial circumstances. Of course, that language was, was quite vague, but it did give servicers an out which disadvantaged our side. Now, that's gone. As of December 31st, that provision is no longer there. So what that means is, hypothetically, any servicer is going to have to review multiple applications from the homeowner. The material change aspect is not going to, to weigh in there. So, you know, servicers are going to have to be, frankly, more attentive to the details of a review. And since so many of these reviews intersect with sales and postponement of sales and scheduling of sales, you know, notwithstanding what I said earlier in December, and I have seen, you know, everything all over the map, by the way, since then in terms of sale postponements, I think I'm, this one I'm cautiously optimistic about that, you know, the Homeowner Bill of Rights is going to continue to be a useful tool for dealing with sale dates that are in front of homeowners. Now, I am going to give a disclaimer, which I often give when I talk at length about legal issues. This is not legal advice. I'm talking to you about a general interpretation of the changes in the law. And nobody listening to this program should take any activity based on what I'm saying without consulting with a legal attorney in California, admitted in California, who can then give actual legal input on what's under discussion right now. Now, section 2923.7, that is still there. It was there previously. It's going to be there now. And that was the section that re regarded a single point of contact. And, of course, the single point of contact, you know, that's an interesting change in the law. Uh, no, I don't mean that that's a change in the law. That's an interesting aspect of the law because, again, this is actually not changing. The interesting aspect of the single point of contact is that the intention with the legislature here in California was that, rather than get a completely different person every time the homeowner or every time an attorney on the homeowner's behalf would call in about a loan mod, about a short sale, about anything related to the loan, you know, loan in quotes, that when these calls would happen, virtually every time you'd be talking to a new person on the other end of the line. And in a huge number of situations, they didn't know anything about what had been discussed earlier and previous, previously on previous calls. And it created a lot of 
discontinuity. It required a lot of the, the homeowners and attorneys and others calling in to do a ridiculous amount of due diligence to really find out what's going on here. What is the status of my loan mod application? Uh, what's missing, if anything? Uh, is this a situation where there's an investor in the background? I'll use that word again, quote, unquote, who might say down the road, well, we're not willing to do anything. So the single point of contact was supposed to reduce a number of, of kinds of duplicative work and responses, but also duplicitous work and responses where the caller, the person calling in would continually get the runaround. So single point of contact sounds great, but guess what the servicers have done since that was initiated and set up back in January of 2013. I have seen the servicers typically use the single point of contact arrangement to fill up the voicemail of the single point of contact so that it seems with some servicers who shall remain nameless that it's virtually impossible to get a hold of the single point of contact. It's great. You've got a single point of contact. You've got a name. You've got somebody responsible for the file. You've even got somebody who can make certain important decisions about the file. But guess what? If you never get a hold of them and they don't call you back, what does your single point of contact mean? Not a whole lot. Now, moving on. Section 2924.10. That expires December 31st. And what that means is servicers are no longer required to provide a written acknowledgement within five business days of receiving loan modification documents. And typically with that acknowledgement, they would need to either tell you we have what we need, we're going to put this under review, or they would need to say we're missing this, we claim to be missing this, this is a, what, what we need in addition. Now, the CFPB does still require this, the acknowledgement letter within five business days. So I'm about a little over halfway through the review here. And what I can say in a plus column for our side in terms of the changes from the HOBR, what I can say is that the CFPB backs up some of the provisions that have been eliminated. So on balance, I think the new regime could end up advantaging homeowners even more. But that's, that's going to be a time will tell scenario. That's going to be, we'll wait and see how it plays out over the next six months. Now, here's a negative that's happening. Under Section 2924A5, servicers and foreclosure trustees, again, I call them sales trustees. Those are the entities that the servicer coordinates with. Remember this whole process. The servicer directs the sales trustee to sell the property. The sales trustee coordinates with the auctioneer at the auction site to execute that order. In any case, under 2924A5, servicers and foreclosure trustees will no longer have to provide notice to the homeowner when a sale is postponed more than 10 business days. That's kind of a big deal because you would get 
written acknowledgments of postponement, you or your attorney who's ever handling the written documents in your in your case. And, you know, that way you really knew what's what's going to be the next sale date. Well, that's, that's going to be a little more nebulous. You're going to have to do more due diligence to find out what's going on with, with any continued sale date. Okay. Section 2924.12. Now, that allows a private right of action for homeowners to enforce a homeowner bill of rights. But now it's only going to apply to material violations of sections 2923.5, 2923.7, 2924.11, and 2924.17. So the homeowner is only allowed injunctive relief prior to the trustee's deed upon sale being recorded. Now, realistically, this was the case before. But we weren't limited in these lawsuits to just those four provisions. Going forward, that is the case now. So everyone should make a vote, make a note of those provisions. Twenty nine twenty three point five, twenty nine twenty three point seven, twenty nine twenty four point one one, and twenty nine twenty four point seventeen. Um, it's all consistent with Evanova. Uh, and even though it was consistent theoretically with these homeowner bill of rights provisions and the sense that the prevailing law in California is still going to be, unless your property actually goes to sale, any lawsuit you bring is a preemptive action. However, bringing a, a, a lawsuit after the NOD is recorded is a plausible lawsuit and the basis for such a lawsuit uh, can be justified under the basic legal pleading standard that you're asking for a good faith change in the existing law. Uh, not just I have argued this, a number of people have argued. It makes no sense to say that the recording of a notice of default or a notice of trustee sale should not be a trigger event to justify a lawsuit when if you can't challenge the the foreclosure at those critical moments when legally the issuer of those documents is telling you you have legal fault that they are going to foreclose on your property because of it, then clearly in the real world you should have litigation rights to challenge that. We're trying to get the real world to align with the legal world and that is a challenge in this area, as our listeners well know. Now, after the servicer records the trustee's deed upon sale, it is potentially liable, as before, for actual economic damages resulting from a material violation of the covered sections, though, frankly, the, the, the way these provisions are written now is even more robust than before. So those material violations need to be intentional or reckless or having resulted from willful misconduct by a mortgage servicer, mortgagee, trustee, beneficiary, or authorized agent. Authorized agent is going to put in play the sales trustee. Now, the damages there are the greater of treble actual damages or $50,000. 
Now, before, the treble damages aspect was really not clearly in, 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 in the statutory framework. Now it is. That's a big deal. Now, this section also allows for attorney's fees when and if a homeowner prevails in this type of action. Now, 2924.17 remains in effect. It wasn't clear to me whether it would remain in effect, but it does. And it states that all servicers, regardless of size, prior to recording or filing a declaration pursuant to Section 2923.5, including a notice of default, notice of sale, assignment of deed of trust, substitution of trustee, or a declaration or affidavit in court relative to a foreclosure proceeding. In other words, everything that happens from the notice of default, all the little filings that they go into, even prior in terms of substitutions of trustee potentially, all of that must declare, well, what I'm trying to say is the servicer must declare that they've reviewed when they when they publish the notice of default, when they record it, they must declare that they've reviewed reliable and credible evidence that substantiate the, substantiates the homeowner's default and the right to foreclose. So this provision includes the borrower's loan status and loan information. You know, there are some government enforcement provisions that expire related to this, but the thing to keep in mind is this, this important general statutory framework is still in place. Realistically, servicers are going to be challenged to handle the completed modification packages because now, even if they're received shortly before a foreclosure sale, they still have to comply with the Homeowner Bill of Rights, the sections I mentioned that they need to, that they need to, to comply with. And all foreclosure actions must stop when a complete foreclosure application is received. The law on this, this matter was ambiguous before. Now it's not ambiguous. Now, these new HOBR sections do not directly address what happens when a servicer receives a complete loan modification application minutes or hours before a foreclosure sale. And, you know, I have to say that's to our advantage because really before, even though it wasn't strictly statutory, servicers could get away with saying, well, we won't review it 10 days out or 14 days out, meaning if you got your application in three days from the sale, you weren't going to get a review. That topic is now silent. So some servicers may be aggressive, but I suspect most will be cautious and they will put you under review even if it's a few days from the sale, possibly even sooner. And because the new Homeowner Bill of Rights extends the dual tracking restrictions on all preventive foreclosure alternatives, not only to loan modifications, you know, the homeowner has more options than they used to. So homeowners should keep detailed notes regarding the actions of their loan servicers and document every transaction and conversation when applying for a loan modification, a short sale, or deed in lieu. Still have a minute or two here. Uh, what I want uh, listeners to take away from a deed in lieu of foreclosure, it's it's really a bad option. I'm not saying that there's never uh, – a scenario where it might make sense and a full discussion of it is beyond the scope of this program. Generally speaking, 
you're, you're basically saying, well, rather than take the whole credit hit and the whole default hit, um, I'm just going to give the deed back. But guess what? The, the, the IRS could still treat that as a deficiency. Now, fewer properties than, let's say, two or three years ago are underwater, but for those who are, a deed in foreclosure is not going to be a particularly better option. And again, you should consult with the California attorney to look into that further. Uh, the other problem with deeds in lieu of foreclosure is you know, it looks like it's, it's kind of limiting your liability generally or so it's kind of giving you a much better option than a short sale or a, 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 you know, just giving up the property, letting it go to sale. But in reality, the utility of it is much more limited than that. So with that, uh, I'm going to uh, sign off now. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to everybody. Happy Hanukkah. Thanks for listening to our broadcast. We hope that you tell your friends about us and let them know that there is hope and help in this financial crisis. Tune in every week to The Neil Garfield Show for free information and advice and visit our blog daily at The Living Lies Blog. We provide support services, the latest strategies, analysis, expert consultations, testimony, and declarations to use in your battle against the largest economic crime in human history.